Hello, I'm Tom Ballard and this is What's the Story, the podcast where we discuss the latest editor's extra from Audible. It's like a book club, but for your ears. This month we've been taking a ride through our insides and listening to Gut by Julia Enders. We've learned about the sophistication of our sphincters, lethargic gut nerves, the beauty of farting... And now we're going to talk about it. Later on, we'll be picking the brain of scientist and microbe expert Associate Professor Andrew Holmes for his take on gut. But first, it's my pleasure to be joined by the brilliant actor, comedian, presenter and lifelong digester, Julia Zamiro. Hello there, Tom. I am a lifelong digester. Thank you. And you do it so well. Thank you. How are your guts? Really good. (laughs) Uh, Really good. And uh, I, I I was sort of interested in guts before I read this book. Really? Yeah. Um, uh, can I tell you my medical story? Please. Is that weird? Is it to gross and that? disgusting? <laughs> it's not gross and disgusting. It's not gross and disgusting. But um, halfway through acting school, second year, a bit stressed. Um, my my started getting kind of this dandruff. Never had dandruff in my life before. Like a skin condition in my hair. Going, what's this? Went to a doctor. We spent hours looking through books with all kind of medical conditions and skin diseases. I spent forty dollars. I did not have as a second year student on some kind of topical cream. Nothing worked. Then went to my trusty osteopath. Yes. He took one look and he said, oh, that's the gut. Really? And this is in my in my 20s. And ever since then, I've realised and learnt and researched that sometimes uh, it's not the obvious thing. You know, it's not the it's something. And I've and did a bit of reading on the gut then and just thought, wow, this is something I did not know. How does it all? Well, we all know now because we've Thank listened you. to the gut. It came out in 2015. You read it a couple of years ago. Like mm-hmm. you actually read the hard copy of the book and have since re-listened uh, to yep. gut for the sake of this podcast. And you love it, right? You really love this book. I really love it. I love anything that gives you some really uh, good information about anything. But I guess what I find fascinating about what we're learning about the gut from lots of different places, different people, high-profile people who know their stuff, Julia Enders included, is um, how it could be at the basis of so many things that we don't understand, like mental health. Mm. I mean, that connection alone I could read forever. But also, you know, if it is two-thirds of our immune system, the digestive system, and and we'll get an expert to correct me on that if I (laughs) guess it's wrong, but um, that is awesome. I mean, that is full of awe to think that two-thirds of our immune system is this thing that we don't think about, we can't see, we expect to do so much work on our behalf. It's the engine room, I think, of our bodies and we need to give it a break sometimes so then you get interested in fasting, how does that work. We've got to know about our own health to keep ourselves out of hospitals and keep ourselves well and I like any book like that I, I love. How did you fix your dandruff? I was drinking too much white wine, I had too much sugar in my system and I took uh, these. I took some um, uh, acidophilus tablets. Yeah. Never heard of what that was before. Now we do know what that is. Uh, you know, it's become something a bit more popular. Went away in two days. Wow. Now, I mean, how does that not excite you to open a door to go right? I'm going to pay attention. So ever since then, I've known if I'm run down, if I've had too much sugar or wine, and I like sugar. I'm more sugar than savory. I know that's going to have an impact. So all of a sudden, you've got information, you've got tools to go, well, you know why that is. And that's just about what you're putting in your mouth. That's that You can control that or you can change that without having to take more pills or whatever. Then, you know, we found out about antibiotics and how that can affect you. Um, we know that yogurt's good to eat, you know, all that stuff. And I think it's fascinating. And when you find out, you know, I did a, I did a talking tour with Michael Mosley. When you find out that um, when he was at medical school, 
they did, out of his five years of med school, they did two weeks on nutrition. His son is now a doctor. He's on the training 20 years later. They still only do two weeks on nutrition. Really? Now, how can you be a doctor and Mm. not look at whatever you put in your mouth is going to affect your health and why we're trying to fix it with... Drugs, but we know why. But mm. so is that changing a little bit though? Mm. Like, like this book, gut was a sensation when it was released. It mm. was a, a bestseller in Germany and has since you know spread around the world. People are mad for Julia Enders, mad for these insights into this massive organ within us. Is, is the gut going through a bit of a moment? I guess. Well, I mean, there's a lot of sauerkraut on the shelves. <laughs> Aren't they? More than ever. People are going, I don't make my own sauerkraut, you know, and looking at bitter foods. Now, look, I'm French and, you know, bitter foods are really important in, 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 in cooking. Italians as well. Bitter flavours are good for you. That's the thing that kind of sparks you up and can also affect the gut. And, again, we'll get our special uh, expert doctor to, to check that with me, see if I've got that right. But we know Julie Zabiro is not a doctor, I am not people. a doctor. Please. But, gee, I've lived it. <laughs> and, um, She's had everything. You know, I've had it all. <laughs> Guts. Okay, so we're going through this gut moment uh, globally yes. as, we, as we learn more about our bodies. And and this could just be a dry scientific textbook, I suppose, with information about the gut. But that's not what it is. I think part of the success of gut and how accessible it is is the kind of language, the kind of good humour that's you know spread throughout this book and the way Julie Anders goes about writing things. Here's just an example. This is from the chapter A Few Facts About Feces. <laughs> okay, this is an example <laughs> of the light touch that Julia Anders brings uh, to her writing in gut. A third of the solid components are bacteria. They are gut flora that have ended their careers in the digestive business and are ready to retire from the workplace. I mean, just a simple example there. The the, the anthropomorphizing, is that what it's called? absolutely. Like giving personalities or giving human intentions to these little factors inside our body. That's, for me, who does not have a science brain at all, Mm. this is what really made it make sense to me. And the idea that our poo, our feces, Mm. are retired (laughs) gut flora (laughs) who have had a wonderful long career and are now heading, you know, being put out to pasture in the toilet. Little snippets like that kept me engaged and kept me following along with what she was saying. Yeah, and and that was her aim. Her aim of this book is to educate and make people curious and simplify it and... You know, she also talks a lot about how, you know, research often is behind closed doors and academics keep it to themselves <clears throat> and maybe they should share it more earlier and, and, and let us all in on the secret. Um, and I think she's letting us in on secrets and getting us excited and she calls the intestines beautiful and she thinks they're fascinating and she thinks they're gorgeous And because she had the problem. She herself was sick and I think whenever you write from your own personal experience and, I mean, the opening chapter alone is worth I mean, it sucks you in the forward, I should say. It just yeah. sucks you in. It's her personal story and a few little twists that you just don't expect as well. You think, oh, where does that come from? But um, she does experiments on herself and she f- tries to figure it out and she's in medicine and they do very little on digestion. You're like, what? So that's weird. Yeah, I mean, in that forward she talks about her personal story, the sores she had on her leg that she tried to treat herself. Yes. And then her experience with her housemates asking her how pooing works and her being inspired to look that up. But, of course, you know, I mean, we say a personal story. There's nothing more personal than the gut because the, we yeah. all have guts. Yes. We all go to the toilet and mm. her very frank and no-nonsense approach to that and even with a good a sense of good humour is what connects us and, and really, I think, brings us along on that journey trying to listen and find out more about this, this massive organ. There's no doubt if you read this book, you'll take three things away that you will actually think about next time you go to the bathroom, next time you eat, next yeah. time you take an antibiotic. I mean, 
look, anything that does that in a concrete way is amazing. And she's delightful with her with it. How did you go, having already read the book, listening to Kate Sobey's narration of Gut? I'm new to audible books. They'll change your life, Julia. I know. Well, I know I'm really enjoying it because I do do a lot of driving and I am someone who likes to do things around the house and just listen to things and I really love it. And and I particularly love nonfiction because I think sometimes with fiction you have to concentrate a bit more and really get into the sort of story. But with nonfiction and stuff like this, it's just fabulous. And I had, when I'd read the book, um, I certainly looked her up and you know, she's German mm. and her English is great, but she has this delightful accent. And I, I, I must confess I was a little disappointed she didn't narrate the book. Right. And I'm always really fascinated as to how that gets chosen. And it'd be a big, big job. And maybe she's on the German version, I don't know. And Katie Sobey, who does this narration, is is perfectly great. I would have liked a tiny bit more whimsy. I just right. there is such a whimsical nature to Julia. And when you watch on her TED talk, you know, you see her talk. But um just a tiny bit more whimsy for the moments of levity that she brings so clearly in the writing. Um, I would have enjoyed that. But then also there is something great about uh, Katie because the, uh, the book has facts. It, mm. it is nonfiction. There are things that you need to remember. And her voice in a way makes you remember those things too. So they pick just a different person. Um, they have the lightness and the blondness of a Julia. Like she, <laughs> Katie feels blonde. I don't know if she is. But, to, but again, because there's so much great information in the book, it was just another great thing to hear and take notes and, you know, go and buy some different things and you know, make your sauerkraut again and have your endive salad. She's big on the endive salad, <laughs> endive, which is, of course, maybe a European thing, but you can find Vitloff, endive, off you go. Make Stop a thing. plugging salads, yeah, please. Yeah, so good, so good. <laughs> Let's take a listen to Katie Sobey in action. Uh, this is her kicking off the chapter on constipation. Constipation. Constipation is like you wait for something that just won't and Still, you have to use a lot of force. Sometimes, in return for all that effort, you get no more than... Or it works, but not very... Often. No, I think that's a tough gig. I do. <laughs> She's trying to bring alive sort of what is essentially a visual joke on the stage and also the you know physical sensation of being constipated, right? Yeah. Uh, so I looked it up afterwards at, at the actual sort of uh, hard copy of Gut and those words are spread out and formatted in a way on a page right. to try and yes, evoke the idea of mm. being constipated and trying to get something out when mm. you can't quite do it. Um, and Katie's trying to bring that alive through the reading and you still, I think you still get that sense, that's still communication. Communicated. But look, as I was saying, I was I was really quite pleasantly surprised. I don't have a science brain, but I was just constantly hit by that sensation of wonder when you keep hearing remarkable facts about the human body. Uh, the gut is the body's biggest sensory organ. The small intestine can be up to seven metres long. Or this fact about <laughs> our saliva. Yes. Our saliva contains one painkiller that is stronger than morphine. It is called opiorphin and was only discovered in 2006. Of course, we produce only small amounts of this compound. Otherwise, we would be spaced out on our own spit all the time. I mean, that is what? a great quote. Firstly, who knew? Yes. 
Secondly, that she explains it. And so the otherwise would be spaced out on our own spit. It's lovely. And this is her second language, everyone. Right. I mean, incredible. We could be getting high in our spit, you I guys. Know. And look, you know, I'm a big uh, believer in taking responsibility for your life. And I just think there's no excuse now. There is so much information out there about if there's something wrong, you know, with you, try something. And, and, you know, she's giving you all these little secrets. She's giving you all these little hints and ideas. And sometimes, you know, you need to be tough on yourself and you could, God knows what you could come out with by the end. You could just become this really healthy, incredible machine that can do stuff and think better um, just by even not taking anything but just eating a different way. Or just stock up on saliva. Wow. Let it kick in. Let it kick in. Maybe that's why kissing is a, is a little bit addictive. Oh. Do you think? Yeah, let's write that down as science. <laughs> Julia and I oh, that's that one. science. <laughs> the science of love. What were some other facts or a few F me moments when you were listening to Gut that sort of stay with you, some sort of facts that hit you between the eyes? Oh, oh look, this isn't actually a fact necessarily. Well, it's not. But, um, but she does do a bit about the language that we use when we talk about, you know, we, when you have a gut feeling. Right. Uh, and, and, you know... It's true. It's you know we have those reactions for a reason. So does that mean they are? Does the gut really go up to emotion? Does it have? Is it about instinct? Is it about intuition? You know, uh, when you have to have a difficult conversation with someone, you, your, your your body start your stomach starts to contract. Yeah. Uh, and and that and that's reflected in language, like like yeah. butterflies in the stomach yes. and a sinking feeling. All and that we shit our pants. And, we shit you know, all, she that. all that. Why do we keep pushing that away? That stuff is part. We why do we talk like that? We talk like that for a reason. It's come from somewhere, and I think it's about listening to your own body. Yeah. Really, is the, is the message in there for me of of don't ignore it. We're very good at ignoring and denying things that are happening in our own body, and then when it happens enough, you go, well, that's now my new normal. And like, well, no, why should you feel terrible all the time if you? And it's not about, you know, her book is not a lecture on give up gluten, don't do this. It's none of that at all. It's just saying. Mm. This can happen if you do this, but also there's antibiotics, but also there's all these different things. But also if you don't know how it works, how can you feed it properly? How can you attend to it properly? Mm. And also you go into a, a doctor's appointment a bit armed. Yes. Not annoying. You're not in that annoying Dr. Google way, but you go in there going, well, I, I've read this thing and it sparked my interest. I had a real um, wow moment when on the chapter of constipation when she was talking about travel, right, the relationship between travel and constipation. And it just made me think about the fact that, you know, our bodies have evolved for millennia living in pretty specific places. And then, what, in the past only 100 years, we've gained the ability to fly to the other side of the world and what that must do to our insights. She talks about the way our gut is a creature of habit, right? It knows what we do and when we do it, it's pretty like regular in that respect. And then suddenly you're on literally the other side of the earth on a completely different time frame. Of course that backs you up. Of course. I'm nodding furiously to what I'm saying. <laughs> nodding furiously. You and I travel, you get you it. I know. And 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 again, why are you taking for granted the incredible engine room and yeah. what it's doing and you're like, oh, well, it'll, it'll sort itself out. And it's yeah. like, well, no, maybe you don't have every meal on the plane. <laughs> Did any parts of gut gross you out? Not really because I was up for the journey. Yeah. So, yeah, the grossness for me is that we don't just know this stuff off by heart. 
the relationship between the gut-brain and the gut-brain axis, um, that was really fascinating. We talked about it before, uh, particularly that idea that perhaps it's not just I think, therefore I am, but I feel, therefore I think, therefore I am. Wow. That was amazing. Know, that's great. I really like this little tip about the way we should conduct meal times to achieve better gut health. This really stood out for me. It starts with the little things like meal times, for example, which should be enjoyed without pressure, at a leisurely pace. The dinner table should be a stress-free zone, with no place for scolding or pronouncements like you will remain at the table until you finish the food on your plate, and without constant TV channel hopping. I mean, that just made me think of every meal I've eaten walking <laughs> down the street or <laughs> eating in front of the, like, slumped on the sofa, what, you know, just, you know, flicking through Netflix, all sure. that kind of things. Like, of course, of course, eating is so important. Obviously, it's where we get our energy. We do it three times a day. Yeah. You shouldn't eat at your desk. No. Of course, you should take the time mm. to slowly uh, and sensibly enjoy the food that you're digesting to give your body the best shot in life. My dad's French, and when he came to Australia when he was 30 and I was two and you know, he couldn't understand people walking down the street and eating at the same time because you just didn't. Uh, you just don't. The French, I mean, maybe they do now, but, at, you know, in the 70s, you're just like, no, you, you eat a meal when you're sitting and right. then you don't eat again. Right. There's no need for snacking because you ate properly. Yes. <laughs> and then you eat again at the nom- nominal time. You like to have a little short black somewhere. That's fine. A little coffee, but, sure. but not but with But get not, on a bike or something. Yeah, but yeah. not with milk. You <laughs> no. know, not with three gallons of milk. <laughs> you have a short black and then you move because it's the caffeine you need to move on. But also, I mean, a French meal is you will put out a, a plate and cutlery and you might have a, a bottle of wine but you pour one glass and you recork it and it's for later right. so you can have you know a glass of red wine with your meal but also when food arrives you smell it you look at it you talk about it i mean i have to say it's quite hard cooking for french people because if they don't like something i'll say no i don't really uh no, no it's not very good when i make uh, this you know, oh yeah tell us how you make it but um but you know the point is that it has to be it's looked at and dissected, even if it's just, you know, steamed asparagus with a bit of salad dressing, there's t- chat about it, you eat it, you take your time. And lunches used to be two-hour breaks for kids in the middle of the day uh. and you'd go to school later in the evening. So it's portion control and it's take your time, yeah. What other little tips or little insights from gut has sort of changed your life? Are you changing? Have you changed the way you sit on the toilet, for example? Are you there's cooking no, in butter? Or yeah, you... there's no doubt that squatting does help. But, yes. of course, she says, you know, you, you won't be able to necessarily do that in your own bathroom. But then she suggests you have that little step yes. that you put up. Well, you know, most toilets sometimes have a little, you know, like a cane basket with yes. magazines and stuff. Well, just tip it over. Help yep. yourself. That's what I say. <laughs> Pop those feet up. Um, but, again, isn't it great to find out that that simple thing is that it's like when when we discovered that giving birth you shouldn't do it lying down that squatting or in water might be better because it's a natural women have given birth in fields forever because well it was time there it is and it's gravity's helping you with the work how insane yeah i I, look i i I just love everything about it and and i love her optimism there's optimism in this book all the time there's curiosity all the time in this book and i think you know, there's no more excuses. Be curious about everything in life. Ask questions and, and certainly about your own mm. your own body. Shout-outs to people listening to this on the toilet, by the way. Any little podcast. I hope you're enjoying yourselves. Enjoy. Yeah. Uh, in a second, Julie and I will be joined by a proper science man what? to give us even more insights about our beautiful and wondrous guts. But first, let's hear a little bit from Julie Endis herself reflecting on writing this popular guide to the body's most underrated organ. 
Hello, Julia Enders. Welcome to What's the Story? Hi. Something that's so striking about gut, the kind of, you know, um, remarkable piece of science that you get into, and you mentioned this is really at the forefront of science towards uh, the end of the book, is this relationship between the gut and the brain, the gut-brain axis and that feeling and the relationship between nerves between those two parts of the body. Can you just sketch out for me a little bit more, because I have a very dumb science brain or bad science gut or whatever, and my brain come, sometimes shuts down around this stuff. The, the, the basic science behind that, and I suppose whether science has moved much further further in the past four years since you released gut in this particular area? Yeah, so I think uh, the the basic thought of the gut-brain axis is that um, gut and brain are connected. And then I think when we had more um, abilities to really scientifically look into it, um, there was coming more and more and more research on that topic. And when you think about it, it's not that weird or strange because the brain is very isolated and it still is the managing thing there, though, that needs information from everywhere in the body to really organize um, what we're going to do, what would be good for us. And so it gets information and our gut is the largest sensory organ that we have. It has the largest surface area to our outside world, really. And it collects information not only on the quality of food, but on what the immune cells are doing, what kind of hormones are in the body, in the blood, and what the microbes um, are producing on a daily basis. And um, also immune system information will be gathered. And it can already a little bit thought out what is important and what not, and then send this up to the brain um, so that the brain has a general info on how we're doing. And I think this is especially important because for some people that do have issues with the gut, like inflammatory bowel disease or um, irritable bowel syndrome, sometimes they have things like depression or anxiety on top of it, or maybe, you know, not really on top of it, but coming with it. And I think this information can then be so um, central to them, not thinking, oh, I have the gut thing, and now I also, you know, have this um, depressive mood swing or something, but that sometimes this might even be connected to each other. And not only for people who have a, a, you know, a condition, but also for the daily life, this can sometimes be an interesting information. At least I found this to be the case for myself when sometimes I'm in a weird mood and I just then sit down and really think more about what I've done to my gut. Have I eaten healthy? Have I stressed a lot on it? And I think putting these uh, these uh, information, these little tiny pictures together sometimes gives you a more accurate picture of self. And um, yeah, this was something that I just wanted to um, explain a little bit, but also do it in a careful way in the book, because the research is new and it's really a danger to overpromise. Sometimes books do this and I hate it when they say, you know, in the future when you eat this bacteria and only fermented, I don't know, um, salad, then you'll not never be depressed again. And this is just really not how the body works. It's really complex and there's many things going into things like mood and depression or anxiety. But just um, knowing what the research is at at the moment and um, explaining why scientists think that way and why it's a possibility or could be a part of it, I think was important to me. Julie, and it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for writing Gut and for joining us on What's the Story. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Okay, joining Julia Zamiro and me right now is an expert in all things gut and microbes, Associate Professor Andrew Holmes from the Charles Perkins Centre at the University of Sydney. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks. Good morning. 
Hello. Now, firstly, what do you make of gut? This is your area of expertise. It's become an international bestseller. People are mad about guts now. What were your impressions of uh, Julia Ender's uh, description and exploration of our insides? Uh, I think she did a great job of, uh, let's call it, popularising. And uh, my, my, my highlight was uh, that why we should be proud of vomiting. She did a great job of uh, <laughs> turning around our, my, yeah, my attitude to vomits. <laughs> You're a big fan of vomiting? I'm not a big fan of vomiting, but now I feel a little bit more proud that I can achieve it. <laughs> wow. It's a pretty good chapter. I do agree. I mean, the remarkable thing about its success, I think, is, of course, the fact that we are often very ashamed of our digestive system. And Julia Enders certainly pushes back against that and says, no, we should celebrate this. It's a beautiful part of life. It's a natural part of life. What what are your theories, Andrew, on why we feel such shame around our bums and pooing and farting and all that kind of thing? (laughs) Well, I'm quite proud of my bum. (laughs) Me Um, too. I, I, actually, I, I don't think that we're ashamed about them per se. I think we've got a taboo about talking about them. And in, in my experience in my line of work, whenever anyone finds out what I'm doing, they I think they've basically got this inner desire to talk about poo and guts and diet and all that sorts of things. And it's actually usually harder to shut them up once <laughs> they've got an excuse to talk about it. And I think that's why the book was so popular, because it was... Uh, conversational or whimsical in a way. So it wasn't someone lecturing to you. It was just you felt like you were buying into her world of a chance to actually talk about stuff that you've often thought about. But, but the shame is certainly a factor, right? Like if you, we, we're terrified of people finding out that we're the one who farted or leaving something in the toilet, particularly at someone else's uh, place or sure. in a public toilet or that kind of thing. Like shame is almost caked in in the same way that, you know, we have a lot of shame around sexual activity and sexual functions. Is is that a matter of social conditioning over a long period of time or or moments in our history where hygiene was obviously so crucial um, to, to stop, you know, massive disease spreading that we sort of embedded or, or taught ourselves or our children shame around um, feces or anything to do with the butt? Yeah, probably to some extent. But when you get people outside of a, a group context, I think a lot of that shame disappears. So even your, your, your favourite auntie or grandmother or something like that, who, who might look very disapproving at you if you drop a fart in public, if you catch them by themselves and there's just the two of you in your room, even they will giggle about <laughs> it. So I, I think that there's a, a, a tension between uh, how it's perceived publicly mm. and what we genuinely feel about things like that. And if you look at kids, kids have got no shame about it. Yeah, that's true. Is it as impo- important as the brain? You know, there, there's talk that, you know, we, we spent a lot of time, the brain was a real obsession, the heart was a real obsession, and now the next thing will be the gut? Yeah, there's a there's a great saying in uh, biology. It's where we try and make our students feel better about giving them all these contradictory bits of information, and that's that nothing in biology makes sense except in its full context, mm. which is evolution and ecology. And we got very excited about the human genome when we were first able to uh, to sequence it and determine it and thought that was going to solve everything, then realised, oh, well, it doesn't do everything by itself. The brain's the same, the gut's the same. So it's really all about putting everything together. And uh, the gut, in one sense, you can't really overstate how much of an important contribution it makes to the whole body. But at the same time, uh, you ca- also it's very easy to get overexcited about what that means you might be able to do with it because it's not a case of the gut does everything. It's a case of the gut contributes to everything, which is a subtle but important distinction because it means it's important for everything, but it's not going to be a magic bullet answer to everything. 
And that's what people want, isn't it? They're always obsessed with that. I just want one answer. And it's like we're programmed to only want one thing when, in fact, it's always a... Yeah, mul- just, I want to eat some yogurt, then I'll never be depressed. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, Enders <laughs> talks about some pretty remarkable links or some pretty potential, you know, pretty remarkable answers that could potentially lie in the gut. She talks about this guy that she sat next to. He had terrible bad breath. He then goes on to take his own life, and she wonders about that relationship between his digestive system and the effect it could have had on his mental health. Um, mm-hmm. Where's the science at with that, and what are your thoughts on that particular link between the the gut feeling? Andrew? Yeah, so that's that's one of the things that uh, so this book was written in 2015, and this is a, a very very hot area in science, and and that area of gut brain is one of the things that's most dramatically changed since the book was was written, and uh, there's a really quite deep and profound connection between the gut and the rest of our body. So uh, you you were talking a little bit earlier about how you know two thirds of the immune system, etc., but Probably we need to add in to that the nervous system and the endocrine or the hormone system. So the three main ways that our body takes information in, sorts it out in the brain and then makes decisions about I feel good, I feel bad, I need to do something about this, etc., is basically nervous messages and our gut's the, the second biggest source of uh, neurons in our body after our brain. It's the biggest contributor of signals to the brain. It's the biggest endocrine system, so there's more hormones that come from there than anywhere else. And it's the biggest uh, immune system. So all those bits of information come to the brain from there. So it has a, a really big impact on how we feel, but a lot of that's subconscious. So we we have to we, we we're, we're subject to how it's making us feel without always being completely aware of it. Mm. Oh, I look at it through that. Mm. Mm. It's and it's and again, you know that. Um, that one-stop shop answer that people want as well is is, is wrong. I mean, you, you can't just have that. But I think um, in that in the book when she talks about sitting next to that man, she can describe three different types of smells that breath should have. So she says it wasn't the sort of sharp smell of the alcoholic or the bad smell of the something else. And then she goes, it was a different. Like she, she's kind of so curious even about that, about all the the hints that you can find in that, the answers you can find in that. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're even training dogs, sniffer dogs for uh, cancer patients and all sorts of illnesses now because basically odour is floating molecules and those molecules have come from processes in our body so that they're telling us something about how our body's working. There's Mm. another big science of, uh, they call it metabolomics, which is basically trying to measure all the small molecules in your body and stick that together to work out how you're going, but uh, yeah, you can do a lot of that just from the things you can smell. Tell you what, I got quite excited in the chapter about the relationship between gut flora and weight gain. Uh, Julie Enders writes about this particular theory. The gut's flora include too many chubby bacteria. Chubby bacteria are efficient at breaking down carbohydrates, but if the number of chubby bacteria gets out of hand, we have a problem. For humans, this can mean that some people pile on weight, even though they don't eat more than others. It could be that their gut flora are extracting more energy from the food they eat. Now, this is great news for me, all right? I don't need to eat better or exercise. It's my gut flora extracting too much energy. Right, Andrew? Not quite. No! <laughs> this is one of those ones that's changed a bit since 2015. So uh, a lot of the excitement in the gut microbiome started from early studies that were done into obesity. And uh, that that was the sort of the story that was uh, being... Uh, pushed around at that time, but it's a little bit of an oversimplification. And uh, one thing that 
is holding true is that we certainly shouldn't be blaming just ourselves and our eating habits for obesity. It is a bit more about our body not quite working properly. But it's not really a case of the gut bacteria doing all of that. So it's uh, true that gut bacteria can change how much energy you're potentially able to absorb out of your food. And they do that by breaking down the, the fiber, etc. But at the end of the day, what's happening inside that tube of the gut is not the same as what's happening in the rest of our body. So it's our body that's responsible for actually absorbing that and then just making the decision, do I store that as fat or do I burn that off or do I uh, excrete that and, and not use it? Thanks for nothing, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> ah, but there are some, the other way to think about that, and this is where uh, I guess the really big advances have come in the last few years, is that it's more about how the whole body's working but how the whole body works is a product of what happened from birth onwards. In that first few years of life, when our body learns how to cross-talk with the microbes in immune health and in metabolic health, that's a period where it learns how to handle the rate at which nutrients and energy and other sorts of things are coming into your body and what's the most appropriate way to manage that. Put a little bit away for the future, burn some off now, etc. And everybody reacts a little bit differently to that. And so one of the really big excitements for things like diabetes and being able to manage those sorts of diseases is taking poo tests to predict what kind of diet is going to be the best one for you. So the good news for you, Tom, mm. is that it's possible to integrate things like ice cream into your diet. And for some people, that will actually be better than some of the other <laughs> stuff that you might have been told is good. But uh, you, you need to take these, uh, let's call them a poo prognostic, to work out what's going to work best for you. <laughs> Got it. Shit into a cup, eat ice cream. Thank you, you doctor. Thank you, science. Doctor, uh, Andrew, uh, also, isn't there, in terms of gut health, isn't there some science or research into uh, caesareans, being born as through caesarean section rather than being born, you know, through the vaginal canal, the kid, you know, sucks up all this great f flora or... or or something, microbes for their gut. And also part of breastfeeding is to do with that as well, that you start to um, sort of line that stomach. Listen to me with my technical terms, line yeah. the stomach. Um, <laughs> that there's, something, that, that there's been research done into caesarean versus, you know, just a, a normal inverted commas birth and that actually caesareans are taking away a, a kind of a, a adding to our problems with health. Yeah, that's another one that's uh, it's a little bit more complicated than it seems at first glance. The simple story is that caesarean section babies uh, compared to normal vaginal birth babies are very, very different in terms of their microbiota for about the first two to three months. And we're not exactly sure why. There's a few different theories for that. It's, uh, it's unlikely that it's exactly the story that Julia gives in, in the book, that it's because of exposure to skin etc. But certainly mm. there are different types of organisms that, that do get in there. But where it gets a bit more complicated is that after that three months, that signal becomes progressively weaker and weaker and weaker. And by the time you've been weaned, you almost can't see the difference at all. So basically, we should think of our gut microbiome as, as being an organ of our body, but it's one where we've actually have two versions of it. The one that we have in the first six months of life where we're exclusively milk fed, is totally different and adapted to a very different system to the one that we have after we've been weaned and we're on an, an adult-like diet. And that period in between the two uh, we think of as the critical window for development. So it's not 
it's not the first couple of months after birth. It's the bit from about two months old through to when you've finished weaning because that's when all the magic happens of the immune system learning how to cross-talk with the microbes, the enteric nervous system develops, the lymphoid system develops, and all of the signaling pathways that connect to the brain develop. So that's the, the important bit. And it's not so clear that a cesarean section birth influences that part. All right, we could talk to you forever. Uh, Professor Eddie Holmes, thank you so much for your expertise and for joining us on What's the Story. Thanks, mate. Okay, thank you. Uh, we would love to know what your gut feelings are, what you made of Julie Ender's gut. Please head to the What's the Story Facebook group, say your piece, ask us stuff. Dear Julie Zamiro, thank you so much for joining me. It's been oh, a pleasure. It, I've loved it. And please listen to the book. Just to even hear her talk about a badly tossed salad. And only, only a European would talk about that when it comes to the surface of the tongue. Enjoy. And thanks to you for listening to this series of What's the Story podcast. It's been an absolute joy. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as I've enjoyed putting it together. Remember, if if you're an Audible member, you'll get one credit each month to use on any audiobook of your choice. You'll also get our selected editor's extra, a bonus monthly bestseller. If you're a newbie, just head to audible.com.au slash story to get involved and join us. Thanks very much for listening. See you later. If you like listening to Gut, you might enjoy these other titles available from Audible. From Dr. Michael Mosley, The Fast 800 brings together the latest science about the incredible power of intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating. It offers a flexible way to help you lose weight, improve mood, and reduce blood pressure, inflammation, and blood sugars. Or, discover the critical link between your brain and the food you eat, change the way you think about how your brain ages, and achieve optimal brain performance with Genius Foods, the powerful new guide from media personality and leading voice in health, Max Lugavere. The Fast 800 and Genius Foods are available right now from Audible.